Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is sponsored by Freedom Mortgage, dedicated to veterans and your homeownership needs. Visit freedommortgage.com forward slash CBS Vets NMLS 2767 Equal Housing Lender. Honor. Commitment. In all the ring, with the highest respect. Courage. Watch me, son. You see, so I know. These are the stories of women warriors. My next guest served in the United States Marine Corps for quite a while, made some headlines while she was doing it too, and continues to make headlines these days because she's someone who is always willing to offer her opinion and expertise when it comes to the United States Marine Corps. She is Kate Germano, and we welcome her to the Morning Briefing now. Good morning, Kate. Good morning. It's great to be back. Yeah, second time we've had you on the show. And the reason that we're having you on now specifically is because there have been some big steps taken by the Marine Corps recently, well, not really taken by the Marine Corps, taken by Marines, that we've had our first ever female graduate of the Infantry Officer course, our first ever uh, female amphibious assault officer, uh, some other recent ones, uh, including that we have, um, you know, first uh, artillery officer within the last couple of years. Um, it, it's It's a changing, a time of change, I would say, for the Marine Corps. I wanted to get your opinion on that. So first, looking at the first female to graduate the infantry officer course, knowing some Marine Corps infantry officers myself, all of them are very impressed that a female has passed this course. Some of them surprised, some of them not surprised. Where did you stand when you started hearing the uh, the rumblings that there might be a female passing from the uh, officer course, the infantry course? Totally not surprised. I mean, I had no doubt that there would be women who would be able to achieve the high standards for the course. I just wish that the Marine Corps would do a better job of publicizing, being transparent about the standards and how she excelled in the course to make it known that more women will be able to apply and succeed. And that's an interesting thing because in the instance of the Marine who graduated the infantry officer course, the first ever female to do so, to my knowledge, we still don't know who she is. We don't know very much about her or like you said, about her time in the course. The Marine Corps has said, at least originally, that she chose. No, she did not want to be identified. She didn't want any attention. Uh, how did you look at that? I mean, one, did you believe that she didn't want to be identified? I mean, certainly she might not have wanted to. There are reasons one might not want to do that. But do you think it could have benefited the Marine Corps if a little bit more was known about her? You know, it's a personal choice. She could easily say, I don't want to be identified by name. She's going to stick out in her unit anyway. Mm. And at this point, the, the bigger concern should be that it's not about her name. It's about how she succeeded. And so I think where the Marine Corps is missing the mark and could do better is in publicizing how she prepared for the course and making sure that other women know that they can succeed if they prepare that way as well. And I think the Army Rangers course is a great example of doing that the right way 
putting out information about pre-qualifications, a, a course you can take ahead of time to make sure that you can, can get through that tough course. I think the Marine Corps could do the same. They're just not there yet. And a lot of questions being raised as far as, you know, did she get through because standards were lowered? We don't know that. We don't know much of uh, anything that happened during this class that she was a part of. There's also the possibility that she was actually singled out and held to a higher standard because she was a female and the officers who were running that course did not want someone to get through who couldn't, uh, who shouldn't have just because uh, they wanted a trailblazer. I mean, how do you look at that? Do you think that the concerns about standards being lowered are valid? Do you think that there's a chance that she was looked at under an even larger microscope because of who she was? I mean, how do you see that? Well, I would say that if the Marine Corps put more transparency in terms of how the course was being conducted and how the evaluations were being conducted, there would be less of a perception either way. Um, and I think that that's where we could do better. So, you know, again, going back to how did she succeed? How did she prepare? Publicizing that, making sure that other women know what they can do to replicate her experience so they can succeed too. We've had 33, 34 women go through and only one successfully complete the course. So what do we need to do to make sure that she doesn't remain the only one? That's the question. The other thing is, if the standards were lowered, as some people seem to be concerned that they are, there were 131 Marines in that 13-week course. Only 88 of them graduated. So I'm not that good at math. Give me a second. 12 plus 31, 43. 43 Marines male Marines mostly did not make it through that course. And she did. So if the standards were lowered, you know, what, that, that, that seems to me to be an indication that the standards probably were kept at mm -hmm. the same level. Uh, and then of course you might have the people who would say, well, maybe she was given preferential treatment. The standards weren't lowered, but she was held to an, an individual standard that the other ones might've been. I mean, do you think there's always going to be those people who are going to have that outlook on it and are always going to try to find something and to prove what they think about it? Absolutely. I mean, we've struggled with that in the Marine Corps since women were allowed to join. And so it's unfortunate that at this point we haven't learned the lesson, right? So at Boot Camp at Paris Island, we do have double standards. There's a segregated uh, training facility. Everything is different for the women. And so the idea is if we've learned one thing over the past five or six years, it should be that the best way to fight that type of perception is by being very clear and upfront about how we're conducting training, what the standards are, what everyone's going to be held accountable for, and then allowing people to see that take place over the course. The Marine Corps is many things, but when we think of a Marine, we think of the Marine grunt. We think right. of the infantry. We think of the war fighters that go out there and do their thing. Uh, this is the first ever female infantry officer. How big do you think that is? Uh, it's a huge deal. I mean, I would say that another five years from now, we're going to have recruits at Paris Island and in San Diego, you know, spouting out knowledge, basically saying the first year that the first infantry female officer was, you know, born. So it's a huge deal. And I think the Marine Corps should be treating it as such. It's a big, big, big change for our culture. But she can't be the only one. If she remains the only female infantry officer, then the culture will really not change. We won't be able to move the needle. When you talk about how the Marine Corps is treating it, from your perspective as a former Marine, as someone who commanded the Recruit Depot female uh, training battalion, how do you think the Marine Corps is handling it? And if Kate Germano is running the Marine Corps, if you're the Commandant of the Corps, how are you doing things differently when it comes to these issues? Oh, God bless. I think, uh, <laughs> I think the Marine Corps would have a heart attack if that happened. Um, you know, I think publicizing, again, not only what happens during the course, but what she did to prepare prior to is the key to success. 
Because at this point, we need Marine Corps Recruiting Command to be out in front recruiting women who can fill these positions, which means we need mentally and physically tough, strong, fast women. And if we're not selling these jobs to them, then we're missing the mark. And so the key to success is not, as Hope Hodgsek recently said in the Military Times, that she quietly graduated and passed the last hurdle. The key should be, you know, publicly being forward and encouraging more women to come forward and achieve the same success. And we're just not quite there yet. Clearly, we're not quite there yet because there is so much uh, back and forth on how things should be handled. Whenever there's a first, uh, it, it, it can be difficult to figure out how to handle it, particularly, I think, with an organization like the Marine Corps that has uh, so much history and is uh, almost proud of being set in their ways. Even when it may not be a positive right. things, it's still, you know, that's the Marine Corps way. That's the way that we do things. How do you think we get past that? How do you think we get past being set in the old ways? I think part of it is making sure that as she is achieving success in the regular Marine Corps and her unit and leading Marines and is able to compete with her male counterparts, I think making sure that that becomes the norm. But again, you can't make that the norm if it's just one woman out of thousands of Marine officers, uh, infantry men. So the idea is that recruiting command really needs to take her experience and replicate it so that women aren't uh, consistently less than 9% of the entire Marine Corps and less than 1% of the infantry force. Mm. And we're speaking with Kate Germano. Kate uh, served in the United States Marine Corps, commanding the uh, female battalion at Marine Corps Recruit Depot Paris Island, and is giving us her thoughts on some, some new firsts for the Marine Corps, the first ever female infantry officer. Also, the first ever female amphibious assault officer is going to be leading a platoon there. That's another thing that we think of with the Marines. You know, the Army has their thing. They come with their tanks over the border. The Marines, they can come however they want. They can come from the sea. They can come from the land. The amphibious aspect, the amphibian aspect of the Marine Corps is is so closely tied to uh, the narrative of what the Marine Corps is. This one hasn't gotten as much attention mm-hmm. as the basic infantry officer course graduate, but seems to be something that's important as well, isn't it? Absolutely. And the Marine Corps has taken a little bit of a different approach. I mean, obviously, she was okay with having her name released to the press, and she made a statement very clearly saying, "It's I'm really proud of being the first woman. Um, she thinks, I think her exact words were, I think it's pretty cool. So, you know, a different approach, but it's a big deal because, as you mentioned, our heritage is tied to our amphibious uh, operations. And so it's great to have women out there representing. It absolutely is. And this is something that, you know, particularly with the case of the ones who have been identified, whether it's uh, you're talking about the amphibious assault officer, whether you're talking about the artillery officer, those who have been identified, these trailblazers, do you think that that could lead to kind of a boon in recruiting for the Marine Corps when it comes to recruiting female Marines? I think the only thing that will create a boon for the recruiting command is if they actually go out and deliberately have commanders of recruiting stations accountable for targets for recruiting women to these jobs. We do this with the officer corps. We have specific targets for air, ground, um, ethnicity. And so I think if we fail to do that with women in these new jobs, then we're missing the mark. You know, if it's not a mission, nobody's going to recruit to it. Yeah. And there, you you know, you may have, again, some of these people and a lot of them, former Marines themselves who are the most uh, invested in it. 
worrying about the standards. Were the standards lowered? Was she held to a different standard because they wanted a female to get through? That mindset is not limited to those, you know, retired Marines mm-hmm. who served 20, 30, 10 years ago. It, it's something that also may very well be alive in today's Marine Corps among your uh, your recruiters, among various officers. Um, so that is certainly an interesting point that you bring up of how if they're not actively seeking females to do these jobs, may there be an ulterior motive there? They don't want females to do these jobs. That's a great point. I mean, I'd say that it reinforces the common narrative, and that's the narrative that women can't hang, they can't compete. So I think you're absolutely right. And that, of course, was uh, where your name first came to prominence when you were at Paris Island trying to hold the female battalion to higher standards and got them to, essentially. Some females started scoring higher on the range, which we know every Marine is a rifleman. Every Marine is supposed to be a rifleman, and Kate Germano is part of uh, making that the case with the female battalion there at Paris Island. want to bring up another story, this one at Paris Island, so something that uh, you would certainly have quite a familiarity with, and that, of course, is the Marine, Raheel Siddiqui, the recruit who leapt to his own death, apparently after being slapped by a gunnery sergeant named Joseph Felix. This is on March 18th, 2016. Uh, The gunnery sergeant, as well as the lieutenant colonel who led that battalion, both facing court-martial and now the family announcing a $100 million lawsuit against the Marine Corps. So first question for you, as a former battalion commander at Paris Island, how did you view this story when you first heard about it? I mean, what was your reaction? It was devastating. My first training that I did with my Marines at Paris Island was on uh, similarities between 4th Recruit Training Battalion and the misconduct by the drill instructors and what was happening or what had happened at Abu Ghraib with the prisoner abuses mm. because there were distinct parallels between why those things took place. And so I made it a mission to change the behaviors of my drill instructors to prevent those things from happening. And I made my officers accountable to make sure that they were out there supervising, leading, and mentoring. And I will tell you that those checks and balances that are supposed to exist at Paris Island completely failed, and it's devastating for the family. How does this happen? How does a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps and a gunnery sergeant, I mean, how does it get to this level where uh, there's also charges against gunnery sergeant Felix that another Muslim recruit, so specifically targeted here, it would seem, was forced to sit in a commercial dryer, which was turned on several times while the gunny insulted the recruit's religion. How does it get to this point? How does someone think, yeah, that's okay to do, particularly in 2016? If you really want to know, you're going to have to read the book that's coming out in April that I, I co-wrote with uh, Kelly Kennedy, Train Like a Girl. I mean, the the bottom line is that there were failures at the leadership level at the regiment and at the depot that allowed for these abuses to take place. The checks and balances that should have been in play were allowed to just languish, and there was very little supervision and leadership by the officers at the senior level. And that's where some people wondering, well, what did the lieutenant colonel do? He didn't slap the kid. He didn't do anything. But uh, how do you view that? I mean, as someone who's in charge of the battalion, essentially everything that happens within that battalion is your responsibility. And if you didn't know about it, well, why didn't you? Absolutely. That's kind of the question, Absolutely. Right? So as a battalion commander, you're responsible for everything your Marines do or fail to do. And that was part of my command philosophy there. I made it very clear to my Marines, all of them, officers and enlisted. And in his case, I think that the battalion commander had a relationship with the regimental commander where the regimental commander thought he was so good 
because he'd been assigned to the depot before that allowed him to think, well, he could be hands off. And he was hands off anyway, but especially so with the thump and third, as it was known when I was there. Wow. So this is something that, I mean, they kind of had a reputation specifically within that battalion. Absolutely. They had a record of having more recruit abuse cases, (laughs) more drill instructors who were actually separated from the duty because of abuses. And so uh, everybody was aware that this stuff was happening. And unfortunately, uh, the regimental commander was very focused on me being uh, mean to my Marines <laughs> and not recognizing the abuses that were taking place in, in the other battalion. It still cracks me up to this day that uh, f- considering all the Marines I know, which there are quite a few, that anyone could be considered too mean yeah. for the Marines. I mean, someone who's uh, a battalion that, that there were abuses and assaults going on. Well, apparently that was OK for a while, but uh, perhaps being uh, mean was not OK. It seems that there may have been a bit of a double standard there. We're speaking with Kate Germano. Kate is a former Marine. She led the 4th Recruit Training Battalion at Paris Island. That, of course, is the battalion of the female Marines. Talking to her about these trailblazers in the Marine Corps, the Infantry Officer Corps graduate, the Amphibious Assault uh, Officer, first one ever there. And now speaking about Raheel Siddiqui and his family filing a $100 million lawsuit. Now, Jake and I talked about this a little bit earlier, and Jake said, boy, $100 million is a lot of money. I brought up the point that as a father, if you offered me $100 million for my son, I'd tell you to take a walk, long one, off of a short pier. You know, when people hear that amount, they may think a lot of different things. My first thought was, when you go for a settlement that big, you're typically look, or when you go for an amount that big, you're typically looking for a settlement, hoping for a settlement. They also, as you brought up before we came on, may just be looking to, uh, you know, bring this to the forefront and make sure that it's it never happens again. Do you think that's a possibility? Do you think this lawsuit could help with that? I absolutely do. I I can tell you that, uh, you know, again, when we talk about failures on the part of the Marine Corps, part of that is the way that we uh, reach out to people when things happen. And I can tell you the other part of that is having transparency in the processes that we use. So when the recruit passed away, it was right at the time that there was a transfer of responsibility and, and duties at the depot. And uh, the regimental commander who took over never reached out to the family to express his sympathies. Mm. And I just think that is such a sign of what was happening there in, in the Marine Corps closing ranks and trying to not hide information, but basically not make the process transparent. And that's always dangerous. It absolutely is. And I think that one thing, uh, looking at this from someone who used to work in public affairs and relations for the military, now being on the outside, when it comes to the military and the government and the VA, the the lack of understanding of how bad it looks when you are not transparent with things, when you try to hold something close to the vest until you just can't anymore legally or for whatever reason, that's really not a good way of going about things. Letting people know early on, I think, is the best course of action. Unfortunately, we don't always see it when it comes to uh, military, public affairs and public relations where you know, hey, if you're not in the Marine Corps, you don't need to know about it. Well, you know what? There are a lot of people who were in the Marine Corps, the Navy, the Army, the Air Force that are very interested in things like this. Um, and really just uh, it, it's upsetting to me and I imagine upsetting to you that for all of the wonderful things that Marines do and that the Marine Corps does and that the Marine Corps has done, there are too many stories like this. We can look at this. We can look at Marines United, of course, the secret Facebook group, uh, which there have been reports of that popping up in other iterations since, sharing uh, photos of of, uh, naked female Marines and posting them publicly online. I mean, when you see these stories that essentially amount to 
black eyes for the Marine Corps as someone who gave so much to the Marine Corps. How does it make you feel overall to see that? It's devastating. I mean, I always think back to my two recruiting tours and I think, gosh, you know, what are our educators? What do our parents think? when they hear how women are treated in the Marine Corps, when they hear about what happens at Paris Island, when it's like Lord of the Flies. I mean, that's the problem is that we don't connect the dots with recruiting and then what happens in the Marine Corps. And that's really unfortunate because it does affect perception and it does affect the ability for kids to join. And there are so many different ways that it can affect things positively and negatively. Uh, Do you think that the, at this point, the positive outweighs the good as far as what people are hearing? You know, those young men and women who may be looking at a career in the Marine Corps. What do you think their perception of the Marine Corps is right now? I, you know, I'd love to think that their perception of the Marine Corps is that it's just an organization full of opportunities, individual and and group opportunities. but again, if I were a, an educator or a parent who was already skeptical about the Marine Corps, already considered it as uh, a, an opportunity of, of last resort, if you will, then I would be less likely to think that it was a, a great place to send my kids. So um, I think we've got some work to do with our, our exposure in the public. And again, some of that work is being done for them by the Marines who are doing such great things, looking at this, this again, unknown Marine who is the first female to pass the infantry officer course. If she doesn't want to be known, that's certainly her prerogative. She's, well, it's not really. The Marine Corps can say, no, we're letting people know who you are. They have the ability to do that. When you're in uniform, you kind of uh, give away uh, a lot of the rights as far as uh, self-identification and things like that when you do something. Um, but they're, they're, they're abiding by what she would like. They have released the name of the uh, the amphibious assault officer and some others. But, uh, you know, it seems like, again, this is the same thing that we keep seeing where the bureaucracy sometimes mm-hmm. gums up the works for letting people know about the good and the bad. And when you delay letting people know about the bad, it can make the bad look worse. When you delay people knowing about the good, it can make the good that much less effective. If it's, oh, that happened a month ago. That's old stuff. What are we doing now? You know, right. When you look at the Marine Corps and where it's heading. I think clearly the first female to pass the infantry officer course is a good step, a big step. What do you think the next step is for the Marine Corps? What's the next first that we need? I don't think we need firsts. I think we need second, thirds, fourths, fifths. The problem is if everything is a first and we don't do anything to fix the system, then we're always only going to ever have a first. And that doesn't move the needle. That doesn't change the culture. So I think a comparison to the Army would be healthy for the Marine Corps. I think it would be really healthy to look at how the the Army's been able to shape their operations with recruiting and training women over the past year. Um, But I think we're missing the mark if we're always focused on the first. It would seem also that the Marine Corps is in a position to despite the fact that they, you know, from the Navy perspective, looking at Marines, they always seem so set in their ways. And this is how the Marines do thing, how they've always done thing. Chesty Puller did it this way. That's how we're going to do it. You know, that kind of outlook. It would seem that by the nature of the Marine Corps being the smallest by far of all of the armed services, they're in a position to enact change more rapidly than any other services. What's holding them back from that? You know, it's this constant linkage to our history and our lineage. You mentioned, uh, you know, I think it's really important to focus on one thing. The, The biggest obstacle that women have faced historically in the Marine Corps is that there's a perception that they're physically less capable. And I Mm. think over the past couple of months, there's been a lot of attention to how women are blowing pull-ups out. I mean, they're incredibly capable and they're they're maxing out pull-ups on the PFT, something that no one thought would ever be possible. And I think it's a great example of a way to capitalize on 
change uh, and and make that something that can ease the way for women to go into these other positions. Um, and I think we're missing the mark. It's really unfortunate. And the pull-ups thing, that I can tell you from back at when I was at the Defense Information School in 1998, that was uh, a bone of contention between mm-hmm. the male and female Marines there that the females uh, had to do, what was it, the, the dead arm, arm hang or whatever, flexed arm yeah, hang. Yeah, silly. Where it was like, oh, they don't have to do the same thing as right. us. They're not real Marines. That's, there's always that distinction, right? And so every time we can eliminate that distinction, we're going to move the needle forward. But they're, you know, the Marine Corps isn't capitalizing on their own victories. And the pull-ups, it's a great example of a victory that we should be using to help pave the way for women to go into these new jobs. And we're just missing the mark. And I had no idea about that until you brought it up. And when I hear pull-ups, I hear something that I could do maybe like one or two of. So These women are just blowing the doors off of that test. And I think a lot of the men out there, former Marines or not, who uh, will talk a lot of trash, you know, how many pull-ups can you do these days if you ask them? "Eh, Yeah, at some point I might have been able to do a few, but right now, yeah, one, two, max. I mean, you know, that has a lot to do with what I'm weighing right now, as Jake and I were talking about (laughs) earlier. We've been speaking with Kate Germano. Kate is a former Marine. Uh, She is an author. She is someone who's doing a lot to bring attention to, uh, you know, what females deal with in the Marine Corps afterwards. There's so much going on in that world. And thank you so much for what you're doing in that world. So, Kate, if people want to find out more about you or the book that you mentioned with Kelly Kennedy that you wrote that's coming out, where can they go to find out? So I'm on Twitter. Kate underscore Germano is my handle and uh, we should have a website and a Facebook page coming out shortly. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 